All right, well, hey, good morning again. My name is Andrew. Uh, you know, last week we did Friendsgiving and it was outside and I loved it. We had a great time last weekend, but I am glad, even as much as I love being outside, I'm glad there's no squirrels to distract me. I was so distracted last week. But we're in this third and final week of this series that we're calling All In, and it's about the power of partnership which is really our, our commitment to the local church and our commitment to friendship uh, in particular. A couple weeks ago, when we started this series, um, I, I mentioned that there's three levels of engagement with the church. We all fall in one of these areas when it comes to how we're engaged with the church. One level is consumer, where maybe we're checking things out, um, maybe we're just enjoying the, the blessings and benefits of the goods and services of a local church, and that's an okay place to be in, is to be a consumer. Maybe that's where you're at today. Uh, another level is contributor. So maybe you know, you're not just receiving, but you're giving. Maybe you're serving, you're doing something to, to be invested in the local church. But there's a third level that, we're, that I'm calling us to and encouraging us to move towards, and it's this third level of covenant partner. Covenant partner, and, and, and to be a covenant partner means I'm all in. It's this higher level of commitment to the local church. One of the Bible words for this is covenant. Covenant, and that means a, a partnership is really what that means. And we've been going back to Philippians chapter one, verse five, where Paul is writing to the church and he says, man, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so let me be clear on this because I've had some questions about this. Um, you know, because we've had folks in our church that have been members of friendship, maybe for years, maybe for decades even. And the question is like, so are, is this like another level of membership? Like, am I at gold status yet? Or maybe platinum level status? No, we're not creating another level of, of membership. What, what we're doing is I'm just swapping in the term partnership because I like this idea and, and we're redefining what it means to be a part of the local church. And we're setting new expectations and raising the bar. And we're, we're calling, what I'm doing is trying to call us all this fresh new commitment to God's church. And what I've been doing is comparing partnership to marriage. But, but as I've been doing that, I, I started thinking about this. And the reality is maybe you're single, maybe you're divorced or widowed or remarried, or maybe you've had a, a bad experience when it comes to marriage. So when I try to make this comparison, it's like, oh, I don't love that. Well, the reality is that no partnership, no covenant relationship is perfect or, our, or ideal. Right? They all come, we're all sinners, and so every relationship is flawed, every partnership is not perfect. But our standard, our model that we keep going back to really is Christ and the church. And we see in Ephesians 5 this marriage relationship compared to Christ and the church, and it's this ongoing commitment and that, that, that doesn't give up, that keeps fighting and keeps loving fighting for one another, not fighting each other, even though it's part of partnership sometimes, right? It's fighting for one another and loving one another and laying yourself down and sacrificing. This is the picture that we're talking about when it comes to covenant relationship. You know, last week we had this outdoor service and my wife took her phone and she did this like video and added it to her like Facebook, Instagram story, right? And it's just this 30 second little clip of everyone sitting pretty and listening to a guy flap his mouth up front talking and preaching. And it's this like 30 second clip where if you remember, if you were here last week, I was talking about marriage or wedding vows and how I go through these wedding vows in a ceremony. And so it's this 30 second clip of me talking about the vows or actually reading the vows. And I was like, well, that was an interesting choice of, of clips, uh, whatever, that's great, looks great, honey. Um, and, but then later that afternoon, last Sunday afternoon, she gets a message from a lady that we have a relationship, a friendship with, um, and, and their family from, goes back several years. She sent a message and said, you know, I, I saw that 30 second clip that you posted. And she began to open up, and we hadn't talked to her probably in a couple years. And she sent her this message and opened up and said, I saw this 30 second clip, and I heard what Andrew was talking about. And uh, you know what, me and my husband have been really struggling for the last few years. Um, and it sounded like almost ready to throw in the towel, honestly. And she's talking about their involvement in the church and how they'd kind of moved away from that church and were looking for 
another church, but just weren't dialed into a church necessarily. And she, she listened to this part about the vows, this 30 second clip where I'm like, that's kind of a random clip. Um, and she said, you know what? It reminded me of my commitment to my husband that regardless of, of his commitment to me or his keeping up his end of the bargain in this marriage, that I committed myself to him. And I said, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost, I am all in and I'm committed to you. And she said, I, I kind of woke up hearing this little clip and was reminded that I committed myself to him and that God can remake this marriage and start this over and, and refresh what has become stale and, and broken. And she said, please tell Andrew, thank you. And that 30 second clip changed the heart of a, of a woman or a wife halfway across the States. And I'm like, my jaw dropped, like what? That random weird little 30 second clip about vows in a, in a marriage. But, but you know why she was so encouraged? You know why her heart was changed? It's because she was brought back to the reality of this partnership, these vows, that I made this commitment. And there's hope in going back to what I promised, that there's hope in the midst of this brokenness, that God honors commitment and he honors covenant relationship. And really that's the goal for this series. It's not to put another burden on us and say, hey, y'all need to be doing this and this and this. No, it's, it's to bring us back to this place of hope, to remind us of our commitment to Christ and to his church. And I said it a couple weeks ago that in the midst of all this stuff of this year, the best thing that we can do is not move away from Christ and his church, it's to root ourselves deeper into the church and our commitment to his church. And that's what this series is all about, all in. Partnership, I've been saying it for a couple weeks now. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me, let me give you another definition, another way to define partnership. It's being unified with others through a shared commitment to a shared mission. Being unified with others through a shared commitment to a shared mission. Another, another illustration with partnership when I, think of, uh, when I think of this idea, I think of a team. All right, your partners together, you're working together. Here's a great illustration for me is, again, going back to last Sunday, we did this Friendsgiving, which is an incredible event. The food was amazing um, to Tripp and Katie. It was such a great meal that we had, and I love that time when we can be outside together. But I think whenever we do one of these kind of events, aside from the food and the fellowship, I think really, honestly, the, 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 the cost of an event like that is is pales in comparison to what happens immediately following the event. And I don't know if you've, if you, maybe you hung around last week afterwards. If you did, I wanna say thank you. But what happens after we do one of these kind of events is, is a lot of folks stick around and hang around afterwards. And there's this, a shared mission that takes place at the end of an event. You know what it is? It's, hey, let's get all this stuff put away. Let's clear the ground so everyone can go home. And there's this shared commitment that says, hey, whatever it takes, all hands on deck, because many hands makes for light work, right? And so rather than having Keith break his back and Andrew and Jack and Tiffany and staff, like, hey, let's all pitch in and get this done. And I'm telling you, and I don't know if that's because I would be stuck with the responsibility if you all left. I don't know if that's why I think it's so cool. But I love the, I think it's partnership and action. When you see everyone is just like, Nobody needs to tell me what to do. I'm looking for chairs to put away and tables to put up. And how can I help? How can I put my hands to the job? And there's something that happens. There's this unity that occurs when you get a group of people that are pulling together in the same direction. And, and that's why team sports are so amazing. When you have people that are unified, they have a shared commitment to a shared mission. And that's the picture that I love for the church that we're called into this kind of a thing, this kind of a commitment to the church. Let me give you another comparison that helps me when I think about partnership. Partners are like owners, not renters. Partners are like owners, not renters. How many of you have ever rented anything in your life? You borrowed or, or used something that didn't belong to you. Have you ever heard the term, drive it like a Rental, anybody ever heard that before? You drive, some, you drive a rental car differently than you do your own vehicle, at least you should. Um, 
drive it like a rental. Uh, my son, Isaiah, when he was probably 13 or so, we gave him his first phone, but it was like an old hand-me-down, you know, like iPhone three or something really lame, right? And we gave him this phone and it, it didn't last very long, but when he needed to get his first real phone, you know, the way we approached this, uh, we said, hey, you want to you want an iPhone? Go buy yourself one, <laughs> right? And he was working at this point, so he had a bank account and all this. And so we bought this phone and I, I loved seeing this. And this is probably two years ago now, but he treats that phone like he owns it. He, he you know, if, if he drops that thing and cracks the screen, it's not like, well, daddy's gonna buy me a new phone. He knows if that thing breaks, it's coming out of his bank account, right? And so he treats it way differently than if he was just given this or if it didn't even belong to him because ownership causes to us to value things differently and then to treat things differently. And so my wife and I, you know, for, for a lot of years in our marriage, we were, we were longtime renters, renting apartments or houses. And over the last five years or so, we've become homeowners. And, I, and if you've ever rented a property and, and now you own, you know there's a whole different level of pride that goes into homeownership. Some of my friends are getting ready to figure that out. They just bought a house. Um, but there's a whole different level of, 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 of commitment that comes when you own something. So when we're a renter, one of the things I do miss being a renter is if something broke, hey, pick up the phone, like, hey, can you come fix this? And there was often a lot of complaining and criticizing that happened when we were renters. But now that we're owners and something breaks, you know what happens? I fix it or I pay somebody to fix it. All right, I'm not super handy. So either I get my hands dirty or I open up my pocketbook and we, we, we take care of the need. So it's the same thing when it comes to the local church. When you are all in, you have ownership and you view the church as your church. This is my church. And so I'm not gonna criticize and complain. This is my house. And so I'm gonna get my hands dirty. I'm gonna get involved and I'm gonna help fix the problem. I'm gonna be part of the solution. I'm not gonna complain about it. And so last week we were talking about this this idea of this covenant commitment between the church and, and her partners. And so last week we talked about the church's commitments to its partners. Today, we're gonna reverse that. We're gonna talk about the partner's commitment to the church. In other words, when you decide to become a partner of friendship or any church, what do you commit to? So that's what we're gonna talk about for the next few minutes. I want you to look at Acts chapter four, Acts chapter four, really the entire book of Acts. If you want to see partnership in action, go through the book of Acts. This is immediately following the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And God is establishing and building up his church. And he does this through a few things. He does it through the preaching of Christ. He does it through the persecution of God's people. And he does it in a big way through the partnership of followers of Jesus, their partnership together. And so what do you see when you look at the people who comprise the church in Acts? I want us to see this in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Starting in verse 32, it says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Let's talk about the church, the people of the church. They were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. What he did is he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so I'm gonna look at four things that we see that this commitment of these people that make up the church did. But I want us to see in verse 32, there's this key phrase that really sets the tone for all of this. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
of one heart and soul. This is kind of like those, those marriage vows, right? I'm, we, are, we are one flesh. We are one. Baby, you've got my heart and my soul, right? This is what's taking place. The people committing together. They're of one heart and one soul. Here, here's the first thing. They're, they're unified. What do we see taking place in, in their midst? Number one, they had mutual faith. They had mutual faith. And we won't spend long here, but if you look at, back at verse number 32, the first part, it says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So they believed. They, they had, their faith was in Jesus Christ. He was the one they were following. And so they were united around this belief in Christ, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. So they were united. They had this mutual faith. When I use that word mutual, and I'll use it a few times this morning, mutual just means it's shared between two or more parties. So they had this reciprocal kind of, they, were, they all possessed this faith. It was mutual faith. And so when you become a partner of friendship or any church, first of all, first and foremost, you're saying, I, I'm like-minded. I agree with what you believe about the Bible and about Jesus and about the gospel. And this is really our foundation is our belief in Christ. Now, we're not all going to believe all the same things all the time, and that's okay. But, but what we do when we join a church is we say, hey, I'm in line with what you believe, with the essentials, with the primary things. The secondary things we can disagree about, but man, we are together on our beliefs, on our core beliefs. And as a Southern Baptist church, and we don't talk about our affiliation much, but we, we stand in line with other Southern Baptist churches that subscribe to a kind of a, a statement of faith that we call the Baptist faith and message of 2000. If you're curious about what that says, go to friendshipwire.com, look at our about page. But what we're doing is we're saying that our faith, we believe these things, they bring us together and they keep us together. And so this is the foundation so mutual faith is the very first thing you see. The second thing you see in these people is this. There was mutual care. Mutual care. In other words, they cared for one another. If you go back to verse 32, it says, the number, full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. This sounds like a house full of children, right? Hey, no. Nothing belongs to me. It's all, it's all ours, right? This sounds nothing like a house with children. It's where everything is mine, right? There's this possessiveness and the selfishness. But these people in Acts, it said they, were, they weren't selfish with their stuff. They shared everything. And they weren't selfish with themselves. They shared themselves to try to serve one another's needs. And there was this mutual care for one another. It wasn't all about me. It wasn't all about my or Mine, it, it was ours. In Philippians chapter two, verses one to four, Paul says this pointing to Christ and, and the way that we as followers of Christ should live. He says, so if there is any encouragement in, in, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the, and make sure you catch this unifying language, we're of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he says, one of the things that mark the people of God that are united together is this mutual care that it's not about my stuff and your stuff or my needs and your needs. They're our, our needs. And we, we, we do whatever we can to count one another more significant than ourselves. Because in a family, we care for one another. We help one another. We pray for one another. Again, it's like being in a relationship and being like, baby, you got my heart and my soul, but your problems are your problems and you're on your own. I'm gonna be over here enjoying my life while you're struggling over there, right? No, you care for one another, you love one another, you help one another, you pray for one another. There's mutual care. This is one of the beautiful things about being part of a family of faith. And I've gotta tell you, in 2020, in the last week, two weeks, I'm just telling you, as a pastor of this church, I feel 
I feel all the, the, the burdens and the struggle of so many of our folks and so many that I don't even know about. There's been a lot of sickness and difficulty and death and all kinds of things that, that, that people are going through, that you may be going through that I don't even know about. And so much of this is happening in our church. I mean, I feel like the last week I'm just bombarded every single day with something new or some other difficulty that's going on in the life of somebody in our church. And one of the things that we do that we don't kind of, we don't publicize really, but it's one of my favorite things that we do as a church. And it's called our meal train ministry, uh, meal train. And really it's simple. It's providing meals for those who uh, are going through a challenging time in their life. So it might be coming home um, from the hospital with a baby, which is very challenging. Maybe it's going through um, the death of a loved one uh, where we're helping provide meals for a couple days or a week. Maybe it's coming home and recovering from surgery. Times when just the, the thought of making a meal or making a dinner to have that burden lifted off of you, man, it's such a blessing. And to have people in your church family who would come day after day. I mean, when we moved here, um, we had meals and restaurant gift cards. And my, my kids are like, can we do that again? That was incredible. Like all these meals, like people in our church that loved us and just came and brought us a meal. I think it's one of the greatest things that we do. And it's so simple. And so we have so many folks that serve on this team that provide meals and people that aren't even good at cooking, but they provide restaurant gift cards, which is amen. Hey, we're all, we're good with that too. Um, so many people that serve on this team. And if, if you're part of that, thank you for what you do and, and blessing and serving as the hands and feet of Jesus to folks in our, in our community, uh, in our church. But it's one of my favorite things that we do. If you, if you know of a need or if you have a need or if you want to serve on this team, go to friendshipwire.com. We've got the details all there. And some of you are like, free meals, sign me up. Okay, there's qualifications. We're trying to help folks. Um, but maybe you can cook or buy gift cards. You can be a part of that. Because I feel like, honestly, we're bursting at the seams over the last week of families and people that are going through something. And we're trying to help by providing meals and it's, it's crazy, but what a blessing to be able to do that, just to show mutual care, that by showing up at somebody's door with a meal, you can say, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm with you, your church loves you. It's an incredible thing. Mutual care, Romans 12, 15, we know this verse, but re rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is the beauty of the body functioning as, as family. So mutual care, it's a big part of being part of the church, mutual faith, mutual care. Here's a third thing, mutual generosity, mutual generosity. And so what you see in this passage is, is these, these people, as they saw needs, they would sell their, their property and, and, and sell their land that they owned and they would give the proceeds and it would be distributed to meet the needs of, of all of the people. And so there was this generosity taking place where it was like, hey, you have a need, I will sell something that I have that I don't need to help meet your need. Man, this is so countercultural, so not American or 21st century, but it was, it was this mutual generosity of giving of, of, of resources to serve one another. And this is the point in the sermon where if I'm going to be honest, some of you are like, I'm not gonna, I don't like this because when you talk about generosity, I know where you're going. You're going to talk about money. <laughs> Not just money, because resources is about our time and our talent and our treasures. It's about us serving others' needs. And, and yes, it is about giving, financial giving. And so let's go there for a minute. Let's talk about it, because Jesus speaks about money a lot. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us how to think about our money and about our possessions. And let me remind you of what he says. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, what you invest your money and your resources in is where your heart is going to go. In other words, your, your money will always follow your heart. Your money always follows your heart. Where you invest your money, your heart is, is going to go. 
And I know this to be true because, uh, and I've been bringing this up over the last few weeks, but we've got a new puppy. And I'm telling you all, this little puppy, this creature is not cheap, all right? We've invested a lot of money into this little creature. And my kids love little Roman, um, and I do too, but it comes first because I've invested a little, a lot of money in this little thing. You know what I'm saying? I've invested a lot, and so I have a lot, I have a lot of skin in the game. You know what I'm talking about? I'm putting a lot in this because I want this dog to be happy and healthy and live a good long life, right? Wherever you put your money, your heart always follows. And I think we have, we have a little... Um, it's on the screen here. Your heart always follows your money. And I tried to use emojis to like deflate the seriousness of that. All right, okay, sorry. Emojis always help, right? Your heart always follows your money. Your heart always follows your money. It's like, again, to be in a relationship, for me to be with my wife, honey, you have my heart and you have my soul. Remember, like I said earlier, we have one heart and one soul, but you have your bank account and I have mine. Like you have your your stash and I'll have mine. And we'll keep all that separate. No, no, no. All in means all in. Because 21 plus years ago, when my wife, when my then fiance, girlfriend, agreed to be my fiance, my future wife, when she agreed to marry me, let's get it simpler. When she agreed to marry me, here's what she agreed to take on. All of my student loan debt, God bless her, <laughs> and all my debt in general, right? She didn't say, I am all in. I, I will marry you, but I will not marry your student loan debt. That is yours to have and to hold and to keep, all right? I want nothing to do. No, she said, I'm all in. Your debt is my debt. What is yours is mine. What is mine is yours. Why? Because we were covenanting together. We are all in, all in. We are fully invested. Either you're all in or you're not all in. And here's a, here's a really simple statement, but I want to, I want to make it simple. All right. The more that you and I surrender to God, the more of us he gets. The more we say, God, I am yours. I surrender myself to you. The more of us he gets. So as we grow in our faith, he begins to, he, he begins to have our thoughts in our words, in our actions, in our activities, and yes, even our money and our spending. As we surrender ourselves, as we give more and more of ourselves over to Christ, man, he, he, he owns more of us. He gets more of us, which includes our money. And so here's the question some of you may have. Do I have to give? Do I have to give? Let me say this. No, you don't have to give. But as God changes your heart, you'll want to give. You'll want to give more and more because you'll understand his, his generosity and his abundant grace that he has poured out over us and you will want to give more and more. Second Corinthians nine, we won't look at this, but you could look at this whole chapter. It's all about giving and the, the blessings of, of giving financially back to the Lord, the repercussions, what God does when we, when we give. It talks about how God loves a cheerful giver, not one who gives out a compulsion like I have to give, but he loves a cheerful giver that says, I get to give. I get to be generous in return for all of your generosity and kindness to me. Do I have to give? No, but as God changes your heart, you'll want to give. And do I have to give? No, but you can't say you're all in if you don't give. You can't say you're all in if you don't give. If you don't contribute, you're not all in. If, if you let others shoulder the load, you're not all in. If you're not a financial partner, you're not all in. Does that mean I, I hate you or I'm disappointed with you or I condemn you or think you're evil because you don't give? No, not at all. But I want to be honest with you. And I want you to be honest with yourself. And this is another simple statement. But if you hold anything back in any relationship, if you hold anything back, you're not all in. You're not all in. And so be honest. 
You, you know, in the next, we won't look at it, Acts chapter 5, the very next words and the very next story that we see in Acts, after Acts chapter 4, there's a story of a, a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. If you know anything about their story, they saw what the people were doing, that they were selling their stuff and giving the proceeds to the church, to the apostles. And they said, man, that's really cool. We want to do that too. So they sold their possessions, but they kept back part of it and they gave some of it. And Peter kind of is like, hey, what are you doing? Are you, are you giving all? Yeah, we're giving all that we have. And you know what happens? He says, no, you're not. And the Holy Spirit, like literally, he says, you've lied to God and, and Ananias is struck down dead. And then a few hours later, his wife comes in and Peter's like, kind of is a little sly with her too. He's like, hey, so you're giving this much? Is this all you have? Yes, it's all we have. And immediately, like God strikes her dead. And this is a great pastor passage. You know, if I want to guilt you into like, hey, if you don't give, God is going to smack you down. All right, that's, that's not what's going on here. God doesn't, God doesn't bring judgment on them because they didn't give. God brings judgment on them because they were faking it. They were acting like they were all in, but they weren't. They said, yeah, I'm all in, but I'm only going to give you a little bit. Here's why I bring that story up. If you're not all in, you're not all in. That's okay. But don't fake it and say, yeah, I'm all in. I am all in, but I'm going to hold back my giving, my finances, because that belongs to me. If you're all in, you're all in. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. Man, be real about where you're at. Ask the Lord to help you to get to where you need to be and be honest. So mutual faith, mutual care, mutual generosity for the sake of, of one another. And then here's a fourth thing. Also not a fun one to talk about, but we're gonna go there. Here it is. Willful submission to church leadership. Willful submission to church leadership. What you see in this passage is they sold their possessions, they, they made some money, but then they laid it at the apostles' feet. They laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's a tension I've got right now. <laughs> I wanna tread lightly because it's, this could seem as a part of the church leadership, very self-serving. Like, I want you to submit to me, all right? It's, I understand how that could come across. So I'm gonna tread lightly, but at the same time, I wanna walk boldly here because I wanna be honest about what the scripture tells us, that we are called into a willful, joyful submission to all authority. And in the church, that includes church leadership. We're all called into this. This isn't part of our human nature to submit to authority, but part of our spirit-led nature is to be willfully, joyfully submissive to church leadership. And, and we see this idea of submission in our greatest example, the life of Jesus. Have any of you ever been confused by this doctrine or this teaching of the Trinity, that God is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit? It's, it's, it's hard to wrap your, your mind around, but honestly, I think one of the, the chief reasons that, that God is three in one and why we have this, um, we have this Godhead Trinity and, and three persons yet all one. I think one of the reasons God has things this way is so that we will, we will see and understand this idea of submission. Because how do you take God who is sovereign and all powerful, how is he supposed to submit to anyone or anything if he's all powerful, right? And so we see God as this powerful being, but but we see in the person of Jesus, the God-man, who lived his whole earthly life fully obedient, willfully, joyfully submissive to his Father, even to the point of death. And so even within the Godhead, we see this willful, joyful submission of Jesus, the Son, to God, the Father. And when it comes to earthly relationships, when it comes to covenant relationships, even in, or I would say especially in healthy covenant relationships, submission is, is always present. It's always present. There's this element of leading and following. You see it between God and his people, between Christ and his church, husband and wife, God has established this. Church leadership and church partners or church members there's always this dynamic of submission. And so let me say this to you as well. 
as, as a pastor, as someone who is part of church leadership, there is this interesting dynamic that maybe y'all don't think about, um, but as a, as a pastor, I function as church leadership as well as a church member and a church partner. It's not like I'm on a different level, like I'm outside of this. No, I, I need mutual faith and I need mutual care. And all of your leaders are part of, it's like a mom and dad, they're still part of the family. They play a different role in the family, but they're still part of the family. And, and, and so for church leadership, man, we have this kind of dual responsibility where we function as, as leadership, but we're also, man, we're accountable to authority as well. And so willful submission to church leadership. And, and we see this in Acts 4, that they laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet, which was, which was to say, we trust you with this. We trust you with all of this. We trust you to make decisions that are good and right. And we submit ourselves to your loving leadership. And so when it comes to willful submission to church leadership, I wanna make sure that you hear this. I'm not just calling you to submit to the leadership of your church. I'm calling you to put yourself in a partnership or in a church family where you can willfully and joyfully submit to your church leadership. If, if you can't say, I'm gonna give, and I trust that our leadership is gonna be wise and follow the, the spirit of God and how this money is used, then you shouldn't be here or at any church, if you can't willfully, joyfully submit to and trust the leadership of your church. And, and so this is part of it, willful submission to church leadership. And the result of all this, when you, when you see all this, this played out, this mutual faith, mutual care, mutual generosity, willful submission to church leadership, here is, here's the result of, of, of all of this. Look back at Acts chapter four, verse number 33. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So there's some great things happening here. You see it? There's great power and there's great grace. So God, he, he pours out power and grace on a unified people who, who put hands and feet to their faith. When, when they, they didn't just have mutual faith, they had this mutual care for one another, this mutual generosity, this willful submission. And you know what God did? God poured out great power and great grace when his people were unified. They had this shared commitment and a shared mission and God poured it all over the church. And I don't know about y'all, but I would love to see God pouring great power and grace upon his church. Amen. I wanna see God pour great power and great grace upon his church. Amen. Amen. And it happens when we play our part, all of us, all of us. And so let me talk about some practical, just real quick, some practical implications. If we live this way, if we're unified partners all in together, what are, what are some of the things? And I just marked down a few things that, that come through my mind when I think about, okay, what if, what if friendship, if we could get more to this place where, man, we're on mission together, we're united in this. Um, one of the things I wanna start doing in 2021 is what I would call partnership rallies, okay? Partnership rallies, where maybe once a quarter, we, everyone who is all in, we come together and we fellowship and we celebrate. Maybe we eat because good Baptists do that, we, but we, we cast vision and we share information and we get on the same page and, and we know one another. You know, there's no other that I can think of partnership where partners don't know one another. But in churches all across the world, there's people who are members of churches who don't even know each other. That's not the way the family of God is supposed to function. And so one of the, thing, the reasons why I want to do these rallies is let's come together as those who are family and let's know one another. You know, as a pastor, I know a lot of the people in our church, 
But like constantly I'm talking to people like, I don't even know who that is. Like they've been coming to our church for years. I don't know. So I want us to get to a place where we know one another because we have a shared commitment to a shared mission. And so that's one of the things. Okay, think about 2021. You know, when we came into 2020, none of us anticipated the stuff that we would face this year, right? As a church, to be quite frank, we were not prepared for the stuff we encountered this year. And so as we stop meeting in person, everyone goes to be in their homes and is worshiping online, and that's not the same, but man, we've lost this sense of connection, right? We're disconnected from one another, and as weeks become months, it's like we become disconnected from, from this and from our family. And we don't want that to happen again. I, I don't know what 2021 brings. I don't know if there's a COVID-19 round two or round three or four, whatever round we're on. I don't know how many rounds we've been through, but I don't know what's happening next year. I don't know if there's going to be another shutdown or what. I don't know what that's going to look like, but here's what I want to tell you. I don't want 2021 to look the same as 2020. And I could probably get a loud amen on that, but I'm not going for that. But I'm saying, I don't even have to... I don't have to fish for that one, right? But here's the idea that, that partnership will help us. That when we know who's all in, that we can care for one another. We can shoulder this load of mutual care. Because here's, here's what happens. We talked about mutual care a few minutes ago. I see it happening all over our church that meals are being provided and care is being given and, um, and people are being prayed for and all these things. And I love it. But, but here is the problem in our church right now is that too much of that is taking place from leadership, from the leadership only. And y'all, this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't your fault. It's our fault. It's my fault that we as a church aren't caring for one another better that 2020 comes and we're all lost because we're not connected beyond this room. And so one of the reasons that I'm pushing forward on partnership, this isn't just a sermon series. This is a way to, for us to come together and be all in, to be partners, to be of one heart and one soul, so that no matter what happens in 2021, man, those that are all in, we are connected and we can share the burden. We can share the load. We can love one another and have mutual care one for another for not just partners, but for everybody that would be a part of friendship. And so I think partnership is so key to everything moving forward. That includes things like serve, our serve team, folks who serve in our church, leadership development. I'd love to, for us to develop more leaders for our tribes to, to begin to take root and for community to take place in the homes, for the growth of our ministries and of our church. I think, again, partnership is key to all of this. It's the foundation. It's us saying, or those who are willing to say, I'm all in attending, giving, serving, every part of me, whatever it takes. Because when you have ownership, when you have ownership of this church, you will declare, this is my church and I love my church. And I don't have to ask you to go meet a need because you'll see a need. If you're an owner, you'll say, hey, somebody needs something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to meet that need. I don't have to tell you if somebody new walks in the room, I'll say, hey, can you go greet that person? No, if you see that, you go, this is my house. I own this. I'm going to go greet them because you have ownership. That's what it looks like. If there's trash on the ground, listen, I don't be like, I'm not like, hey, my, my wife will get it at some point. I'm like, no, this is my house. This belongs to me. I have ownership. I'm going to do it because the need is right there. This is what owners do. And man, I look so forward to I'm so hopeful that as we, as we all get to this place where we, we come to become covenant partners, we say we're all in, we have ownership, man, it helps us through whatever the future brings. And so the question is this, are you ready to become a partner? Are you ready for this? And you know what, maybe you're not, and that's okay. Maybe you're checking things out. Maybe you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have that level of commitment here. And if you don't, that's okay. I'm gonna encourage you. And I'll help you if I can to find a church or a place where you can say that, where you can say I'm all in because that's what God wants for all of us. But maybe, maybe you are ready. So what does the process look like? Let me walk us through it really quickly. Practically, what does it look like if you are ready to become a partner? And this applies whether you've been a, you are a member, been a member for a long time, or maybe you're brand new to this church. What does it look like to join friendship? 
quickly here. Salvation is the first thing. You have to put your faith in Jesus. The thing that brings us into the family of God is our faith in Christ and in his work for us on the cross. And so salvation is the first part of that process. Number two is this, baptism. Being immersed in water, which signifies, represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it also symbolizes our death to our sin and are being raised to new life in Christ. So salvation, baptism. Uh, the next step here is our new to friendship lunch. Our next one is gonna be in January, but that's just a lunch at our house for folks who are new to our church. Maybe you've been here less than a year. You wanna know more about us. This is a great way to do it. And again, we feed you. Are you catching a theme here? Baptists eat a lot. Uh, so our new to friendship lunch, if you're newer around here, that's part of the process. Um, the next one is a big one. We talked about it last week, our partnership class and covenant. We're getting ready to have one here in a couple weeks. Our partnership class, it's just a one hour class where we walk through this covenant. In other words, what are our vows to one another? What are we promising to each other? And, and we'll, we'll go through the covenant. We'll answer any questions that you may have. And we'll offer a partnership class once every quarter. And then there's another part, a pastoral interview. And I know when people come to this, it's like, uh, I hate interviews. I don't like to be interviewed. Really, it's, it's not a like, are you hired or not? It, really, this is a way for us to get to know our people when they come in. We want to know who you are. We want to know your story, how Christ has, has, has intersected your life, what God is doing in your life. And I also want to know, like, how has God shaped you? How do you, how do you, what are the things that you love and are passionate about? How can we find a place for you to serve and, and find your place here at Friendship? So that's what that, that interview is all about. And what I've been trying to do since we started doing this, since I've been here, is I've tried to attach that to, guess what, dinner, because <laughs> I like to eat. <laughs> um, and especially if you pay, um, we're good there. Um, <laughs> Mutual generosity, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so if, if you want to go through this process, we may just sit down and break bread together, all right? But this is just a way for us to get to know the people who want to join our, our church family. And then the last step is this, it's presentation to the church body. On a Sunday morning, it's just us calling up the folks who want to join and become partners, and we just kind of present them to the rest of the family, pray over them, and, and celebrate them. And so that's the process. It looks intimidating, but it's, it's not. And I would encourage every single one of you that feel like you are ready, that you're all in, whether you're a partner or whether you're a member already or not, I would love for you to go through this process. So next step, partnership class taking place in a couple weeks, Sunday, December the 6th at 5 p.m. here. We will provide dinner and we will provide childcare as well. So it's just an hour. Um, what you can do is if you want to learn more, if you want to read the covenant, if you want to sign up for that, that class, go to friendshipwired.com and do that. So December the 6th is that next opportunity. So if you have any questions, all right, uh, I had a dear member of our church this week who called me up and said, I'm not getting all of this. Can you help clarify, explain what does this mean? And, and we had a great conversation. And you know what I said to her afterwards, after we talked, I said, this is what a good member, a good partner does. Ask me the questions. If you have questions or you're like, I don't like this, come to me. Let's talk about it. You can email me, andrew at friendshipwire.com with any questions you have. I'd love to talk with you. But let me, let me wrap this up with one last thing I want to read to you. I came across this online this week. Actually, it came through my email inbox uh, by a longtime pastor and church consultant. His name is Tom Rayner. He's a big, lifelong Southern Baptist guy. And he sent this, um, he had this thing he wrote out. He called it my, my COVID manifesto for my church. I just thought this was appropriate, and this was really the idea and thought and language behind someone who's all in would proclaim these things. And so I want to read through his COVID manifesto for his church, and I want to ask you to consider the things that he's saying. Can you say that about friendship? Can you say that about these things about friendship? If not, let's help you find a place where you can say these things, all right? So my COVID manifesto for my church I love my church, and I will not stop believing God has full control of this congregation. When everything seems in COVID chaos, I will remember he is always in control. I love my church, and I will pray for my pastors 
every day. Amen. Right. Uh, pastors are confronted with decisions and conflict daily. I will pray for them regularly. I love my church and I will not get into fights and feuds over masks and similar issues. When I act like Christ, I always put others before myself. I love my church and I will attend faithfully. Now is the time for the body of Christ to come together. I will be a part of that reunion. I love my church and I will continue to support her. I will give abundantly and serve joyfully. My commitment will not wane in trying times. I love my church and I will point others to my congregation. I will invite people enthusiastically and will be a gospel bearer every week. I love my church and I will not engage in gossip and negative conversations. When others attempt to engage me, I will walk away or offer positive words instead. I love my church and I will be an encourager to others. I will intentionally encourage through spoken words, notes, and social media. I love my church because Christ loves my church. My commitment is firm in good times and in the stresses of COVID. I truly believe God has a better future for my congregation and in his power and strength, I will be a part of it. Partnership is a beautiful thing, y'all. I would love for you to consider and say, along with him, that in his power and strength, I will be a part of it. And so, Father God, this morning, thank you for this church. God, the church of Jesus was, came before us and it will endure long after us. And you have called us to be a part of a local expression of your church that you love and you gave your life for. Your covenant love, your unending love for us as your people. God, thank you for that this morning. Thank you for this church in particular. Lord, it's not my church, it's your church. And Lord, I submit that to you this morning. Lord, I wanna be a faithful partner in what you've called us to do here. And Lord, I pray for direction and discernment for every person in this room, every person who hears this, this message, Lord, every person that, that might call friendship home. God, would you give us discernment? Help us to know the way forward. Are you calling us or have you called us to be all in. Help us to discern your voice in all of this. Lord, for those who might come through this, this time and Lord, feel like maybe you're leading them elsewhere. Maybe this isn't the faith family for them. God, I pray that you would give them direction as well. Lord, our desire is to be a part of your family, to be in partnership with you and with one another that we would see this place as a place of mutual faith and mutual care and mutual generosity and willing submission to one another and to your leadership. And so God, would you give us wisdom in all of these things? Would you continue to build your church here so that we could, we could be the gospel bearers in our community, the witness that you've called us to be to a watching world? God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your covenant love and faithfulness to us. And would you continue to meet with us as we worship you this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing.